I didn't even know there was another vineyard. Like, I thought it was just here in Campbellsville. No, there's hundreds of vineyards all over the world, and it's been happening for the last almost 40 years, and it's just it's an amazing story. And I, I wanted Gary to be with us to come and uh, bring not just who he is, but some of the, just the essence of the original DNA of who the vineyard is. Uh, we have it, but it's all, always good to get context from some people who were there at the beginning. And so this is Gary Best, and uh, he's a good man. Amen? Amen. Gary, do all that's in your heart. All right, thank you. Um, for those of you who have trouble understanding me, I speak Canadian. It's, a, it's very similar to the language you speak, but there are some subtle nuances. Uh, but I just want to, for the record, I'm just saying, we don't say a boot. All right? So if we, if just don't go up to me and say a boot, a boot, a boot, because we also play hockey. All right? Anybody actually know a real live Canadian? A few of you? How many of you have been to Canada? Let me tell you, let me guess. Niagara Falls. All right? For five minutes. All right? Well, uh, let me give you a quick little primer in Canada. It's, it's having us just to the north of you is kind of like having a pet rock. It, it's a little bit of a novelty at first, but it, it, it does get old pretty quickly because we're fairly boring. We, we're frozen most of the year, and whenever we do thaw out, all we ever want to talk about is hockey, which doesn't really translate down here much, right? Uh, but it, I'm sure it must be reassuring for you just to know that we're up there watching over you. <laughs> Before we start tonight, I, I, the whole purpose, I, I'm not going to give great talks. So, I mean, uh, any time, you know, you can just sort of slide out quietly and I, I won't be offended because I'm used to it. Uh, <laughs> I'd rather talk with you than talk at you. Because what we're talking about, on the one hand, isn't particularly new in the context of the vineyard. It's not like you're going to get some new and exciting information you've never heard before. Uh, but I, I do hope that maybe we can explore together some of these familiar things in a new way. Because by and large... While one of the primary sort of catchphrases of the vineyard is everybody gets to play, I've been in this game a long time in the vineyard, and let me share a secret. Everybody isn't playing. We still see this part of what we talk about related to the spirit and spiritual gifts and the, the things that Jesus did. I mean, not so much, you know, his works of love and service, but his, his works of power we pretty much still, even in the vineyard, reserve a lot of it for the big hair people. Don't we? Do you know, do you know what I mean by the big hair? I mean, you know, that, that whole world. The, it, it's like we, we embrace, though we don't say we do, we embrace a very unhealthy and unbiblical dualism. And we create these two realms, the natural realm that most of us who take their lunch to work uh, live in, and then this secondary sort of second plane, the supernatural realm that actually really only a few really play in, and the rest of us just sort of guess at. 
most of us, when we start talking about healing the sick and raising the dead and casting out demons and multiplying food and causing storms to stop and all that other kind of stuff, which makes a good read, most of us kind of feel like we're on the wrong side of the pet store window looking in. Any, anybody know what I'm talking about? Or do you all feel just supremely gifted and you can take over from here? Right? And this is a problem. It's been a problem for a long time. A lot of the New Testament is trying to address this problem because it was strongly evident and being one of the primary enemies of the good news, even as early as the first century. I mean, the mystery religions, when Christianity met classical Greek philosophy, which was at its core dualistic, and and then we began to confront the ways in which people took the story of Jesus and tried to realizing that it seemed completely upside down, tried to turn it right side up and make it elitist and make it make sure that only those who knew the secret handshake could get in. I mean, this is the very thing that early Christianity tries to say, no, understand this. If Jesus' good news doesn't work for everybody, it's not good news for anybody. Do you get that? If there's something that you and you and you have to get in order to be a part of what the invitation Jesus is bringing to the world, uh, then it's not very good news. Certainly not the good news that Jesus brought. We've got Jesus. We don't need some kind of special anointing, some kind of, we don't need to have an 11th month pregnancy with the moon standing still and, and see blue lights over people. I, I know some strange and interesting things happen uh, because there's lots of different makeups and there's people with great sensitivities to the spiritual world. What I'm trying to say to you is I'm living proof that this works for anybody, even those of us in the elephant reading group, you know? who for art is paint by numbers. And it works not because we're so good, but because he's so generous. And that's, that's just the gospel. So everyone take a deep breath. We do not have to change the course of Christianity this weekend. Shekinah glory doesn't have to come down. We don't have to, you know, tweet all over the world and saying this was the conference to end all conferences. Of course, within 15 minutes, it'll suck until a better one comes along. (laughs) You know, like, like just, we we don't have to go there. Nothing actually, and actually, you don't even have to, quote, experience anything. Uh, I shared last night... um, my, the, I mean, I, I, I was really an outsider as a Canadian. I, I was the classic guy that nobody would pray for. I, I'd stand in all these healing lines and nothing would work. It, it, it was kind of like, I didn't know, you know, what was wrong with me. And, and then one day, and, and most of you never knew this guy named John Wimber, but he was a very imposing and world-changing figure. And everyone kind of thought he was the great kahuna. He was sort of the John Wayne of anointing. Anybody still remember John Wayne? Nobody's that old, I guess. But, uh, and <clears throat> one day he prayed for me. 
And it was the most profound prayer. Like I said last night, it was one of those three cherry prayers. You pull the levers and like ka-ching. And it was like, I, I, I expected that at that moment, Jesus himself would go and go, bing, and I would turn into a tooth fairy or something. I, I, like, I just thought, this is what I've been waiting for all my life. But halfway through the prayer, I got clinically depressed. And it's because the most anointed guy in the world, it seemed, prayed the best lottery prayer he could ever pray. And it didn't take. I mean, I'm telling you. I mean, I I had a lot of experiences. I was in a room once about this size. And this great anointed guy did a ministry time. They were praying for everybody. And I was standing there coming, God, come on. You know, you can do this. Me, remember me. When you come in your kingdom, you're in your kingdom, me. And, and you know, I, I don't know how long I was standing there. First, I heard this thump, 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 thump. I thought, it's here. The anointing's here. It's my turn. And then thump, 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 thump. After a while, after a number of thumps, you start perspiring and it's not the spirit. I remember finally I couldn't take it anymore. And I looked around to one side. Everybody was on the floor. I looked around to the other side, and there was one guy standing in the whole stinking room. He didn't even look like a Christian. (laughs) Suddenly, I had this terrifying thought. I am the Antichrist. (laughs) So Wimber prayed for me, and it didn't work. Except I went slowly back to my seat, thinking I might as well just shoot myself now, except Canadians don't have guns. (laughs) Tried to think of all the Americans I knew who could help me out. And this little thought came in my mind. How will you know? Until you go to do it. So, folks, what I'm trying to say is, We're going to talk about, in very simple ways, what Jesus came to do and what that has to do with us. And if we can catch it, forget about all the other stuff. Now, am I saying I hope this conference sucks? No. I mean, I, I hope that we have profound encounters with Jesus. I just don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it seems like we experience because I'm not trying to start a ministry. I'm almost dead. (laughs) Like, you know, it's too late. And I don't really want you to remember all year what a great conference that was. What a shame that would be. I want you to go out from this place and fully step into what one author has called the conspiracy of little Jesuses. So you start realizing that all around you, Jesus is at work and you can put your hand to it. Whatever happened to you this week, and when you figure that out, I tell you, everything's going to be different. That's what we're hoping to, to step into tonight. 
So let me begin. Let's start with, let's let Jesus speak for himself. What did Jesus came to do? Well, let's, let's go to Mark chapter 1, and that happens to be one of the gospel accounts where Jesus sort of begins his public ministry. Now, not everything's chronological, so obviously, I mean, there's, there's, he's been doing a few things. But now he's in his home territory. It's kind of rural. It's northern. It's not a central metropolis. And what he's going to try to, well, basically he's going to announce this is why I think the Father has sent me. Well, he's going to announce that it's the Father that sent me. I mean, he's really putting down a pretty significant trump card. But he's going to tie it into the context of the bigger story. And in doing so, explain in very clear terms, what he's starting and the implications that it has. Now, eventually, they're going to kill him for it. I mean, there's not a real happy ending to this story. Well, it's not a real ending, but, you know, as far as what seems to happen, it, he causes a little more controversy than, than, than not. But let's, let's take a look at his words. Mark 1.15, he says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. So repent, that's a simple word that just means turn around. You're going this way, turn around, go the other way. I mean, you think you got it all figured out. You, figure, you think you know how the story's going. You're trying to, you know, cheer for God to, to kind of make it work. I just want you to know you've got it all upside down. Turn around and reach, believe the good news. Now, the first thing we have to understand is that there's a lot of insider language here. Like there's stuff that, that, that you could talk about in Kentucky that I'd have no clue of as being a dumb Canadian from the north, you know. I mean, I don't even, didn't even know what bourbon was. I mean, I, I, or at least how it was differentiated from scotch. And I mean, but, but you guys, oh, no, no, this is a dry county, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> you don't know. Uh, let's use another example. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Every, everywhere has language that you use it and it has a lot of significance and they understand it. That's what this was in Jesus' day because these are people of the story, of the, the great story of God that they were the stewards of and the guardians of, I mean, at least theoretically, for the entire world. And so when Jesus, first of all, says, the time, they don't go like... Uh, What do you mean? Two in the afternoon? Coffee break? We're talking about the time, the time of the return of the Lord's favor, the day of the Lord, this this turning of the age, this kairos moment when God would come and fulfill the the, the promises he had made to his people. As early as Genesis 3.15, I mean, they're hard. I mean, they're barely out of the garden. The weeds haven't even grown yet, and already God is saying, look, it's going to be hell. But I tell you, I haven't forgotten you, and I'm going to make it right. And this burned in the hearts of the people to which Jesus was speaking, that there was going to come a time when the favor of the Lord would return to them, when two things would happen. One, he would, he would be faithful to the covenant he had made to them, that they were going to be the light of the world. They were going to bring God's justice and shalom to the entire world, but also the promise that God was not just going to, 
no matter what the Left Behind series says, God is not just going to trash this place. He was going to put it right. Add those two things together, it means this deepest longing of every human heart. He was going to fulfill it. We were going to realize it. The, The Jews longed for that day. Jesus comes and says, it's on. It's on now. Now, I mean, them are fighting words. I mean, right then, I mean, not only in terms of the political context of the day and the Roman oppression and rule, you can get yourself killed saying stuff like that, you know, putting yourself forward as some kind of messianic deliverer because everybody had in their grid, this is going to be done with violence. This is going to be done with force. This is going to become, this is, you know, this is going to be one of those Clint Eastwood make my day, you know, the Messiah's back and he's mad, you know, and, 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 and yet, so nobody really gets it, and yet they certainly understood what he was reaching towards and beginning to promise. And what he says is, the kingdom of God, now, you're vineyard people, so you understand that term. We're not talking about something here just northeast of the United Kingdom, or we're not talking about some geographic realm. We're talking about that, nor are we talking about that place in the clouds where people sit around eating Philadelphia cream cheese or whatever is in that commercial. We're not talking about some other place in terms of proximity. We're talking, as the Jews understood, that dimension of reality that for them was in the very air they breathed. It was all around them. I mean, the kingdom of God was everywhere, imminent, close. It was the, but hidden often from their eyes. It was the dimension in which God dwelt. That's how they understood heaven. And the promise always was at the fall, there was this cosmic tear and heaven and earth was torn apart. And you know this. Every heart all over the world feels it. Don't you? It's that inexplicable tearing, that sense of shame and loss and separation deep within our hearts. We keep stuffing stuff in there, trying to figure out how to bring that together the way things ought to be and the broken way they are. And yet the promise was that heaven and earth were going to be married together. That the kingdom of God was going to break into this place and put it right and mend it together again. So as soon as Jesus says, the kingdom of God, it's like, I mean, everyone's going, we know, we know that promise. That's the longing of our heart. And then he says, it's near. Now, he is meaning that it's, it's near, it's close at hand, but there's also a way, and this is what Don Williams, an early vineyard scholar, uh, suggested years ago. Another way of saying is it's, it's within your reach. Now, this is very important because he's not preaching primarily to just the religious rulers. He's preaching to the poor, the outsiders, the separated ones, the marginalized ones, the ones who'd never qualify for any kind of rabbinical uh, program. I mean, look at the disciples he picks. Who are they? All the ones that weren't picked. Anybody know that, that second captain, first pick thing? I mean, I was always a little kid, you know, growing up. So it was always like, I'll pick him, I'll pick him. At the end, it was, you take him. No, you take him, right? (laughs) I had to be on somebody's team. And what, what did that have to do with anything? 
I got lost in a traumatic early memory, and I just... Uh, <laughs> uh, um, oh, he was saying, look, it doesn't matter how long your spiritual arm is. It doesn't, you don't have to have spent half your life in the spiritual rack like the Pharisees, dragging your knuckles on the ground with all of this self-sacrifice so that you are really, you're one of those second plane people, the ones who learned the secret handshake. He said, I mean, you don't need much of an arm. I mean, you don't even need an arm. It could be a little finger reaching out of your shoulder socket. Just stretch it. It's enough. I mean, you know, I mean, it was so profound, you didn't even have to be alive. You know, I mean, anybody could reach this kingdom because it took up the space to where we were. Understand, I tell you what, if it doesn't take up all the space, it's not very good news because we can't reach it. Isn't that the story, the whole, the whole purpose, Paul says, of that whole Old Testament narrative? So we'd finally understand, no matter how much we try, we cannot bring heaven and earth together. It's not in us. So he takes up the space and he says, this is the greatest of news. Just turn around. Trust that the kingdom of God has come to you. Reach for it and taste it and you'll get a taste for it. That's exactly what happens. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying people can even get their brains around. I mean, later on, when, he, when he, he's after that, you know, eat my flesh and stuff, it's like, eh. And, 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 and then he says to the disciples, everybody's bailing, understandably. And, and he says to Peter, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter would go, man, I would. There's this hook in my heart. You touch something. I've tasted it. I, I, I can't, I trust it. I can't leave. My brain doesn't get it, but my heart knows it's true. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody in this room, you, you struggle with doubts at all? Anybody struggle with doubts? Most of the rest of you are lying. <laughs> but Doubt isn't an enemy of faith because anybody knows you have a relationship with a person. There's lots of stuff you don't understand. Anybody married? But faith is something different. Jesus takes up the space and we sense that call in the depths of our heart, deep calling to deep. And there's something in our heart that says, trust this man, give your life to it. And that's what happened. But see, Jesus didn't just go, here's great news, and then give some abstract theology as to how this applied to that or this prophetic word connects with that one. He basically did something different. He, he did what he was talking about. He brought heaven to the lives of people where the lives of people really needed a taste of life and hope. So he didn't just talk about how when the Lord, you know, the Isaiah 61, return of the Lord's favor, this is all the stuff that is going to happen in that distant day when heaven comes to earth. What he was basically announcing was, ah, the Father couldn't wait. It's, I mean, so we've come a little early. 
I mean, even the demons, isn't that the whole demons thing? It wasn't like they, uh, the demon, Jesus, they'd show up, they'd come to the synagogue as usual, and, and, uh, and then they'd see Jesus there, and they'd, ah, what are you doing? You've come early. Wasn't that the sort of interaction between Jesus and the demons? This isn't the end of all things. And, of course, Jesus knew the wisdom of the Father, this incredible uh, day of invitation, this space of invitation that he was going to usher in that would make it possible for everyone to say yes to God's yes over them. And so we begin to see Jesus goes out and lives this good news. It's, not a, it's, it's, it's this profound invitation. I've come to make all things new, to put everything right. And then he begins to demonstrate it in the lives of people. Now, of course, that begs the question. How good is our good news today? I, we, have, we have a challenge, by the way, in the Western world, and that is for those of us that are part of what we call the church who are under 20, uh, there, there's, there's a, 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 just a massive abandoning of faith. I mean, even greater abandoning of the church. But I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Within 10 to 20 years, Christianity and the... I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the theorists, the, the people that measure these things that are Christians in North America are, are by and large saying uh, Christianity is going to be radically smaller. Even here in the United States. Um, that's, um, that's concerning. And a, a lot of it is that um, we've offered a Christianity to our kids. We don't think it's very good. We've offered them a Christianity that doesn't work. Wasn't it G.K. Chesterton? The, anybody read Chesterton? Great. I mean, he's got this killer phrase that says, the gospel, I wish I had a British accent, the, the gospel has not been tried and found wanting be found difficult and left largely untried. So there's this invitation of Jesus, but so many of us have only partially turned. We've just begun to reach, and, and yet in a lot of ways we've settled for a gospel that maybe is an offer of some future salvation if we prayed the right prayer and went to the right meeting. Or, and, and our kids grow up and, and, and they get to their teens and they go like, have you showed me pretty much everything by now? We go, yeah, I, I think that's it. There's a few board meetings you haven't been to, but other than that, I think we've, we've pretty much got it. And they take a look, they take a look and they go, you know, I, I think I'm going to find something to die for. Do you hear me? No, not this church. I'm not talking, of course, this, it's the other churches. But this is a very important question to us. How good is the good news. Do our lives read at least a little bit like the New Testament? Or have we expected far too little? Brilliant. Uh, oh, gift to the body of Christ. He was a Stanford University uh, philosophy professor. A man named Dallas Willard died a few years back. Um, he said one of the tragedies of the modern church is that we've prepared people to die, but we haven't shown them how to live. Uh, 
See, because uh, you ever go to any sporting event, what's the number one scripture references at sporting events? It's, well, it used to be John 3.16, right? But, but that's not talking about life that begins after this life. As Willard points out, it's life that begins now and just keeps getting better. Jesus came to bring life, and he said in John 10, 10, to the fullest extent, to offer us a taste of heaven so that we get a taste for it. I mean, that's what happened to the people that followed him. In some way, they had seen or personally been a recipient of this incredible gift of life from the next age into this one. And they got a hunger for it. Uh, I told some stories last night to just a few of the leaders here, things that we've just witnessed in the last few days, uh, last, last you know, few months. Because everywhere we go, we just keep seeing how what Jesus did then, he still does today. What just came to my memory was a conference I did in Australia once. And I, loved, I just love this story because it's so much like Jesus. Because where this is all leading, of course, is the fact that the whole reason Jesus came wasn't just to do a few big things, get some press and then leave. And then we all hang around and wait until some final judgment. That he was setting something in motion that really has a lot to do with us. And that's the message. So I was down in Australia and we were doing a healing conference, a little bit bigger than this, and, and, but still not that so big. It, was like, it wasn't a monster crowd. And a guy came to this conference with real need. He had just had uh, a series of tests and they had detected spots on his liver and, but they, which they thought was a secondary cancer and because they'd gone in, in his lower intestines, he had some um, cancerous uh, tumors and they had gone in I don't know if they removed, I don't think they removed, I think they just, yeah, they moved, took a biopsy and identified and made a mark to mark the spot and they were going to come back and do further surgery. So he actually made out his will before he came to the conference and he was, I mean, pretty low ebb. First night of the conference, we do this thing and somebody gets this revelation that someone has a cancerous tumor in their lower intestine. Well, what do you think happened to his faithometer? It's like, like, it's me. I mean, that's not good news. But, but I mean, it's like, it's me, which means that God's probably going to do something. And, and so I, you know, I thought, well, the person that gave that word, they'll have faith. I matched them up and said, get some of your friends around and pray. If we get all these people praying and, and when, when you guys have been in those kinds of conferences, right? And you're really aware of who you're praying for and how well it's going. And, and it's really disconcerting sometimes when, when, uh, you know, you pray for them and they go, well, I, I think I feel peace. <laughs> <clears throat> And meanwhile, other groups are going, yes, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. That doesn't really help, does it? I mean, sometimes. So, unfortunately, he gets the loser prayer group. And about the main thing he gets is indigestion. So, he comes back the next day, sticks around for a little bit of part of it, and then is so bummed, he goes home. 
This is how good God is. Even with the loser prayer group. He goes back in and they want it, they do some more uh, tests. I can't, I can't remember what he did. He had CAT scans and MRAs, a bunch of stuff. But do some more tests. And they, the spots in his liver are all gone. So they go, well, can't figure that out. Something's screwed up somewhere. Well, at least we'll go into the lower intestine and finish the job there. Well, they go in, and, and when he comes back out of the operation, they say, well, you know, it's, um, there, there, there were no tumors in your intestine. And actually, what was confusing is the mark we made was gone too. <laughs> so never let it be said, God doesn't clean up after, you know, things. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? Now, that's good news, isn't it? Both for the prayers and for the one who prayed. When's the last time we saw something like that? Or reached for something like that? Now, I know many of us have tried in this room, tried some of this stuff, and it didn't seem to go so well. Or maybe you thought, I'm not one of the anointed ones. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll bring food for, you know, lunches, and I'll, I'll help with the kids, and maybe somebody else is going to raise the dead. Or, and, 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 and it just seemed like our arm isn't long enough. And I think the whole invitation of Jesus is his intention has always been, it's why the Spirit anointed him, to come and touch the places of oppression where the enemy has crushed the lives of people in every dimension of life. And he fully intends with us to bring light and life to those places. Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's relational, but we really are tastes of heaven to all of the people that God has placed us within the center if we'll simply open our eyes to it and turn around and understand that's exactly what he's intending to do. Luke chapter 4, what did he say? The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to, uh, you know, to... I mean, it's the poor. Developing community with the poor is one of the most powerful kingdom activities. All death and hell shake and tremble when we begin to see the riches that the marginalized have to offer. And we begin to discover how God can be powerfully in the midst of those relationships. When freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, this word set the oppressed free, that was actually a word, it's not a technical religious word, it was a word that that talked about, you know, pottery that screwed up. I mean, where the pot didn't work and they just sort of crush it and, and, and uh, it was that disfigured and marred pottery that you just sort of look at and go, well, it's pretty much useless now. Maybe it could be art, but if it doesn't sell, we'll just toss it. You know, you know what I'm saying? What he's saying is that's what the devil does. But what I delight in doing is taking that which is marred and disfigured and rejected breathing life and hope into it and bringing it back into the purpose for which I created it. Now, this is what Jesus is announcing about himself. And of course, the disciples think it's pretty good news. They're already kind of figuring out cabinet posts. 
you know, because they, they figure that the kingdom of God is coming in and, and, and like we get front row reserved seats. Uh, you can come late to meetings. Uh, excuse me. I, I know it's standing room only, but I, I've got a seat down the front. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it appealed to everything that they longed for, at least until Jesus started changing the narrative and talking about constantly how he was going to die and they were going to be persecuted. And at that point, they start asking a few more questions. But I don't think there's a person in the world that, I mean, they didn't really get the discipleship thing, did they? I mean, they didn't really get that he was going to die and they were going to be Jesus in the world. They thought it was being disciples with Jesus. They didn't get that they were going to continue on doing this thing after he was gone. Because, I mean, look at the pity party they have after, after you know, the, the crucifixion. They already pretty much figure they bet on the wrong horse, don't they? I mean, that's where they're at. And he's, he's got to sort of walk through the wall and say, what's for dinner? Before they, they sort of go, and they still want to kind of poke. And, 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 you know, and then they're texting their friends like, hey, this Messiah thing, it's back on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, they're thrilled to do this stuff with Jesus, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to be on his ministry team? You know, he puts his hand on someone, you put your hand on someone. You know it's going to work, right? I mean, if I was one of them, I'd take my hand off every bit and put it back and see if it made any difference. But, I mean, they get to do this stuff with Jesus. What they didn't really understand was that what Jesus was initiating was something that would go on even to us today. That, that was tough to get their heads around. Now, by the time of the resurrection, we'll talk about that on Sunday. And you know, the, 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 the whole, well, the Great Commission thing, you know, where he sends them, he says, all, all authority has been given to me. I mean, I got the keys to death and hell. So since I got the keys to the door, it's safe for you to go. Go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. Isn't that Matthew 28? I mean, we know that by memory, don't we? We all know that. But think about it for a sec. While up to then they weren't expecting it, they thought it was going to be, be with Jesus as he turns the whole age over and the kingdom of God comes in in its completeness. By this time, when he commissions them and sends them out in Matthew 28, they're not scratching their heads and going, hey, uh, Mark, you got any idea what, what's a disciple? Like, is that some kind of program you have to sign up for? Or, like, understand, this is the whole rabbinic culture. They understand completely what a disciple is. And because Jesus called them and said, let me form you. That's what rabbis did. When you joined a rabbi, I mean, you learned to do everything they did and know everything they knew. And it was only then, after that, you'd been fully formed by this master. You then would have authority to go out into the world and interpret the Torah uh, in the context of Jewish society. And so, no, what Jesus is saying to them is, guys, um, you know what I did with you for three years? 
You, you know the program where I, I taught you to be able to see the way I saw, to trust the Father the way I trusted the Father, to be to reach for the kingdom and see it break through that membrane of evil that, that I've now shattered with my death and resurrection. You know that? Go do it. I'll lead you everywhere in the world. It's, it's actually going to take you to some interesting places. Get used to pork. You're going to like it. Um, But, pass it on, this may be going for a while. Now, wind, you know, 30 years later, uh, a lot of people are going, yeah, we saw some pretty dramatic early things after Pentecost and stuff, but like, like we got people dying now. I mean, our kids are already having kids of their own. Like, when is this, how come this isn't done yet? Anybody ever ask that? That's, it's really interesting um, how Peter describes it. He goes, look, guys, I understand the angst out there. In Second Peter 3, he says, tell you what, it's not weakness. It's not indecision. It's not like the Trinity's kind of huddled, you know, do not disturb. And they're going, man, the devil is tough. I, I, how are we going to land this thing? I, I, I thought we'd have it done by now. We haven't figured out how to win the world. It's like he's saying, no, it isn't that. When God acts and the door closes, it'll be closed. But he said, I knew Jesus, so I know the Father. It's mercy. You see, that's how we explain this thing we call the already not yet. Jesus let evil exhaust itself on him. He was the perfectly united one with his father. When Jesus rose from the dead, he opened a door of invitation that whoever would want to could turn and heaven could reach them. And that would be their story. You'd think then, I mean, at least the disciples thought early on, because Acts 1, they go, all right, hey, look, you've, you're, you've raised from the dead. Uh, the spirit is going to fall. Uh, like, will you close the door now? We're in. We're good. And he's saying, well, maybe not yet. Maybe there's a few more that God's longing for. I mean, think about it. Aren't you glad he's waited for you? Like, I don't be one of those who move to Florida and immediately try to pass a bill keeping all future Canadians from moving to Florida. Don't worry, I don't want to move to Florida. But uh, You know how that is often? I mean, people, they get in, and then as soon as they're in, they don't want anyone else in. And, and it's like the kingdom of God goes, what's that? And so here's God always saying, oh, hold the door open. One more, one more. Bob isn't in yet. Shirley isn't in yet. You know, Maggie isn't in yet. Now, when's the door going to close? I don't know. But until that door closes in the wisdom of God, in this period of invitation, what God wants present in this world everywhere is little Jesuses preaching the same message and living the same life, saying, come on in. Heaven's come near. 
you can reach it. You know, like Isaiah saying, look, come, eat. No, it won't cost you anything. Drinks are on the house. Oh, sorry. They're not on the house here. But you hear what I'm saying? Come on in. It's all being paid. And what he wants is people who will say yes to his yes and say, I'll be one of those living invitations that announce to people, I've got good news for you. Jesus has come near and he's been waiting for you. Taste this. And some aspect of their life is touched by the light and life of heaven breaking into this broken world. And it hooks into their hearts and something begins to change. I heard this message many years ago. Uh, It was uh, preached through this man named John Wimber. And uh, it, it just resonated in my heart. I thought, I want to do that. I want to be one of those people. You know, I, I grew up in a real broken area. I mean, I, I uh, telling Adam, my, uh, in 10th grade, my friend stabbed the teacher in the back in science class. I, I thought everybody stabbed their teachers. It just seemed normal, you know. Uh, every year somebody died. And, and then I went back and I was a high school counselor there. And every year some of my students died. I loved those kids. And and, 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 you know, we're a broken community. I mean, the Hells Angels pretty well run the community. And, and I had this huge long... I mean, I, I, I so longed that, that, that the good news that I had finally experienced in my life would touch everyone I loved. But the big problem was, is I was kind of like Philip. I, I, I just felt that, that I, I didn't have enough. Like, I, I knew if Jesus was here, um, that he would be enough. But I just, and I knew that the invitation was for me to go and be Jesus. And in effect, believe that the Father could do the things that he'd been doing with Jesus. But I just didn't really believe it. I mean, I, I'm Canadian and left-handed. I, I just, I felt like, I just felt like, I've seen other people do it, but I can't find the connection. I can't figure out how it works. I mean, Philip was like that. Jesus was going to leave, and, 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 and he's going, I don't think we're ready yet. You know, I, I don't feel anointed enough. I mean, I, I know you can do this. I can do it with you. But I, and, and, and you see, you know, Jesus kind of talking him off the ledge, and he says, Philip, do you understand, John 14, how good this good news is? It's not believing in yourself. And how you've been able to access power from heaven. It's believing in me and my commitment to you. If I send you out into the world, I'm going to back your obedience. He said, in fact, it's this simple. Anybody who believes in me will do what I've been doing. It's not for special people. Now, does it take special anointing to raise the dead? By the way, I haven't raised the dead. I mean, I'm a total loser, by the way, when it comes to spiritual gifts. But what's amazing, and I think it's sort of uh, an instance of divine humor. I think I've seen, even through my own prayers, almost everything possible that could be healed, healed. 
I prayed for blind people, deaf people, crippled people, people with AIDS, people with cancer. Now, I buried my best friends. So, I mean, don't get this idea that, you know, you want to rub up against my sleeve. You might get the bad stuff. I don't know. So, I mean, I've seen lots of heartbreak. but I've seen un- God do unbelievable things through my simple drooling prayers. But I've never seen the dead raised. Yeah. But all this stuff was beyond me. I didn't feel anointed enough to do anything. It takes pretty special anointing to raise the dead, doesn't it? Does it? Anybody raise the dead here? No, it it doesn't. I have friends that have raised the dead. uh, So I know it's true. I know it happens. Uh, But here's the great news. The anointing isn't in us. The anointing's in the commission. So Jesus says, go into the world and offer a taste of heaven. I'll back you. Does it happen perfectly every time? No, it doesn't. That's the great mystery. But it doesn't depend on how long our arm is. It all depends on whether we're willing to turn and follow. And I tell you, if everyone in this room just said, Jesus, I am willing to step into the need around me, just show up for work and trust and see what you're doing and put my hand to it with these simple little prayers. You know, just going up to, I mean, you know what? If you just went up to someone and said, how are you? And they'd go, good. And they'd say, no, 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 I actually mean it. And then follow that up with, well, could I just pray for you? If you did that for a year, you not only change your life, you change this whole town and all the county around it. That's what happened to me. I mean, they, they looked at me and said, look, I just wanted to pepper them with questions. How do I get anointed? How do I pray right? How do I make this? How do I, how do I become Jesus? Where should I part my hair? Should I part my hair? Like, I mean, I was anal. I mean, let me tell you, it was just like, there's got to be a system here that you can get into this secret club. In fact, they got so sick of me, uh, they finally said, look, shut up. Pray for 200 people. Then come back and talk to me. I thought, 200 people? I haven't prayed for 200 people in my life. How would you do that? And they didn't mean like pray and run. Like uh, I'll go to a room and wave some smoke around and say a prayer. No, like pray right there and ask them, hey, anything work? Right? So I started doing this. And I I don't know how many. It was like well over 50 people. I don't know what it was. I, I prayed and like zip happened. Nothing. I mean, that is tough to do. And then I was really excited. I prayed for somebody and they got worse. (laughs) And like, it was strangely encouraging. I said, I did something, I think. (laughs) Now I just got to figure out how to turn that around, you know, like pray on my head or something. You know, but somewhere in that experience, I was near, somewhat close to the 200 and I couldn't talk. It was a gag order until I got my 200. I went down to a conference in Anaheim, California, and that was like Mecca for the vineyard people. That was like God is in Anaheim, you know. As soon as you saw the palm trees coming from Canada, like you could feel the spirit. <clears throat> Got into this conference, but 
again, the first night was miserable for me because I just kept showing up late. It's like spiritual gifts were happening all over and, and they just sort of left the room by the time I got there. You, you ever have that feeling sort of like, oh, I think God's doing this. And then Wimber would say, no, God's doing that. Oh, shoot. You, you know, uh, it was really frustrating. And, and again, I watched and I watched and I tried to pray for at least one person and it didn't go very well. And so I thought I'll just, I, I, you know, these are nice people. I don't want to ruin anybody's night. End of the night, I stayed for quite a while. Wimber and all the big... You ever gone to one of those big conferences and they have like special ministry team people that have badges? Well, you have badges too. But you have like working class badges. They have fluorescent dots on their badges. You ever been to one of those settings? The dot people? (laughs) And you may get to pray later, but they're the ones that pray first because they're the ones that have the anointing. And... And so I'm trying to follow dot people around and trying to figure out how do they do things? Do they keep their eyes open, closed? And I discovered, that's where I learned the vineyard prayer posture, sort of hand like this, disinterested, looking to the side, one hand in your pocket, and then bam, the Holy Spirit comes and goes, more Lord, you know. You almost expect them to have like earbuds in, listening to music or something, you know, getting ready for the big game, I, I, you know. Anyway, I, I'm trying to figure all this stuff out, watching this, and and then you know, and then finally, all the, the dot people are all gone. I mean, there's just a few stragglers, people who don't really understand it's not going to work for them until they get suitably zapped in a in a ministry time. And 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 there was a a, a, a gal in her twenties in a wheelchair, and I'd seen her before. I, I tell you what, if you do healing conferences, you really don't like to see the people in the wheelchairs because most of them come in in a wheelchair and they go on a wheelchair. And, and virtually every time I will, um, I mean, I will cry with those people. I'll pray my heart out over them. I'll at least give them the dignity of seeing them and fighting for them. But I, I think seeing just a few get out of wheelchairs, my heart longs for it. But, uh, so, I mean, this is early on in the period, and I see her, and here's some people around her. They all paid to get into the conference, and, but they're, they're, you know, they got their, their, their manual. Okay, step five. Oh, say this. Uh, and they're trying to figure out how to do it. No, no, I think that's the wrong hand. Uh, and, and they're praying for her, and I look at these guys, and I, I, I'm ashamed to say it, but I went, guys, like gals, look around. The anointing has left the room. Like, don't wear her out. Give her a good night's sleep. Let her come back tomorrow. Maybe she's got a shot at it. Like, learn on something less significant, you know? And then at one point, they're praying and they're crying. And I thought, oh, they're probably all Pentecostals. <clears throat> and then one person takes her hands and I go, oh, no. They're going to do that thing, claim your healing, stand up, and then, you know, do the Peter thing at the gate, beautiful. I said, this isn't Jerusalem, folks. Like, <clears throat> this is real. I mean, I know you don't want to come back tomorrow morning, but I'm just telling you. Like, this is where I started, folks, right? And they take her... and. I mean, you know, I didn't know what was wrong. I found out later she'd been in a car accident, been paralyzed for something like eight years, and all her legs are atrophied. This isn't a sprained ankle. I mean, you know, she used to be a dancer. So they, 
and, and she, there she is. She's trying to play ball. She stands, and there she is. She's standing. And that was the moment. Have you ever been in a room and there's a draft or something? You get that little shiver down your spine? I always used to think that was just the air con or something. I never thought that might be the Holy Spirit. I looked at this, and all of a sudden I realized something's happening here. And then this girl took a step, and then another step, and then threw her arms up in the air around this huge auditorium, and really awkward because she hadn't moved in eight years. She's running around this room, and everybody's crying, and, and I'm throwing dirt on my head, and, <laughs> you know... felt like that Far Side cartoon, you know, I mean, a cartoon where you know, the two guys are fishing. You know, and there's this atomic mushroom cloud or something. The guy says, you know what that means? It's sort of like, yeah, something like screw the limit or something. You know? But like all bets are off. You know, I, I looked and I thought, like, all my arguments are invalid. Not only God can do this. But God can do this with non-dot people. Do you get it? It transformed my life. I thought, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how and when. I don't know anything much about this process, but I ain't giving up now. Because the kingdom of God can not only reach to me, it can reach through me. And when you understand that, that's pretty good news so then I started to pay attention and tried to figure out how it is that Jesus walked out this life day to day in the real world in which he lived and it was shortly after that that I saw the first profound healing that I ever saw and from that point on we've never stopped seeing it We've never stopped seeing God come and act in profound ways. And I never get over the incredible gratitude that God would be so kind as allow me to experience and taste it. That's what I want you to catch. Some of you have caught it. Some of you walk in it. Some of you, it's relatively new. Uh, Some of you... You've almost forgotten what you once knew. But I'm here to say, as broken and as imperfect as it is, there is nothing that the kingdom of God can't reach through your simple acts of obedience. Just keep showing up for work. So, let's give it a shot. What we're not going to do during this time is ministry times. I mean, ministry times are wonderful. I think God can powerfully meet people. And, but the, the, the real focus of this time is not, for instance, me coming and trying to act as a representative of God and in some way be an agent through which God will meet your life. I, I mean, I'm hoping God will touch all of our lives in profound ways. But primarily, this is like Jesus and the disciples. I'm not Jesus, but... It's about praxis. It's learning by doing. You see, because none of this stuff gets learned 
through the Greek method of theory practice. You don't sit down, work through all the manuals, get all the theory right, and then apply it into your life. It's really show and tell like Jesus and the Hebraic method of learning. And so they learned in the process of doing. And often the information came after they'd messed up uh, or in the middle of what they were doing. And so it really was that, that kind of learning that's completely integrated. I used to be a basketball player and coach. I know a lot about transfer of learning. The, uh, the training effect is very specific. So you can have teams that are amazing practice teams and they suck in games. And a lot of it is because their practices aren't like the games. So one thing that we get very good at is learning how to do church services and conferences. But we don't live our life in church services and con- uh, you know, services and conferences, and most of our friends won't come. So we've got to figure out ways in which we can partner with Jesus that actually works where we live, right? And so having these amazing experiences here don't necessarily transfer out there. We've got to figure out how Jesus is real there. And that's so what we're going to try to do is demystify the process. Uh, The band's not going to be playing. I mean, I love, uh, by the way, I love, I've heard you guys in Tennessee. It's not even, music's good, but... um, there, there's just, there's a heart cry in it. There's something so authentic in it, which just touches my heart. And I'm a little jaded. I've been around worship music a long time. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to come. I, I just, I love, I just sat there and kind of just soaked it in. I almost wanted to become a Christian again, you know? <laughs> so and I'm not denigrating that. I'm just saying sometimes we think unless the music's playing, well, I mean, you're going to talk to somebody in a bar. Oh, no, i got to keep going. Think of new illustrations. You're talking to somebody at work. The band isn't going to suddenly jump in and go, you know. It's like there's no band. You know, you don't come to work and, and, and everyone says, oh, how can I know Jesus? Like, uh, you know, the language is a little more colorful. It doesn't look like they're hungry. And so you've got to find ways of bringing all of this into that world. So that's what we're going to try to do. Really simple, practical stuff. We're going to touch three different things. Tonight, obviously, if we're going to, if we're going to, we're going to talk tomorrow morning about Jesus already being at work, but if we're going to see how heaven is breaking in and touching earth, we have to know how to get some sense of what it is that God is doing in the moment. We know what he's generally doing. I mean, if you want to know uh, what is God about, well, if Jesus is the full represented, re- representation of the Father, read the Gospels and you've got a pretty good idea of what God likes to do in his time off, right? He likes to heal people. He likes to set people free. He likes to feed people. He likes to bring the lonely into family. He's all about all over this stuff. If you do any of that, you're already stepping into an anointed task, right? All heaven is smiling on you. But in the moment, what else is he wanting to do? Well, we hear that all the time, but we run right past it. I mean, we just, we, we think, is here, here, here's, here's a little key. You can take this to the bank. Most of the time when God speaks to you, he sounds like you. 
I thought he'd sound like Charlton Heston or something. It would be like or Arnold Schwarzenegger or, or, or you know, it would be some kind of like, oh, <laughs> this is God, you know, or Brooklyn accent at least or, you know. Uh, but he, he sounds like me, and so often I just think it's me, right? Because I spend so much time in my psychotic brain anyway. And so it's, it's having to learn when is that voice that sounds like me actually God, Learning to be sensitive to those nudges and leadings. Now, it's not a bad place to practice here because what we know from 1 Corinthians is that whenever we come together, that's the context of the teaching and spiritual gifts, 11 to 14, the gathered setting. And when he says, when you come together, the Spirit automatically is sprinkling gifts because... He really knows this is such a powerful time and place where we can be built up so that we can step out and be a gift to the world. So you don't have to worry about getting spiritual gifts because you walked into this place. And in all sorts of ways, gifting is already taking place. We just don't recognize it as gifting. So for instance, you ever walked into, let's say, a meeting, church meeting, and suddenly you feel lonely. Well, we're so neurotic and self-focused. We always think it's us, you know. Oh, I'm lonely. How am I? I think I'm sick too. You know, it's, it's like, have you ever thought maybe you're good? You ever thought that maybe somebody else is lonely? Hello? And looked around and go, who are they, Lord? Could I be a gift to, to someone? I mean, now, there's a variety of learning styles that people have. And so very often, God will come and give us these kinds of gifts in different sorts of ways, but they're all little hints making us either aware of some need that exists in the body so that we can be a gift to that, or in the moment of praying for a person, gifts arise, flow through us. But it's not like you'll always know these gifts until they happen, right? Remember, we're just mail delivery. We're UPS people. I mean, they're just, that's all we are. We deliver packages from God. Now, when you deliver a package from God, it's not like they bow down and go, oh, UPS. You know, you just go, look, I think it's from your mother. I think it's a sweater. Like, it's not from me. I mean, I mean, I'd happy to be here while you open it. But I mean, I, I'm, it's actually not, it's not me. It's, it's like your mom, you know. I mean, that's really all we are. We're delivery people. God loves people. He wants to bring wonderful gifts of grace to them but he so loves to share it with us in this process and let us be part of it. So we just know when we generally put our hand to doing the things that God loves to do, which is to bring light into darkness, life into death, you know, the kingdom of heaven into this broken kingdom uh, of, of earth, that we know we can be confident he's going to breathe on those acts of obedience. We just overthink it. We're always trying to sort of, oh, have I got it? What have I got? Is this God? Is this not God? Like, lighten up, you know? Just go and be a gift to people, right? Begin to trust the process. God can speak to you. He can lead you. 
So what I know is when we come in, there, there are some needs in this room. We're going to primarily focus on physical needs. And the reason we'll do that is because it's the hardest. So if anything's going to screw up, like I want to make sure that whatever we do is probably going to fail. It takes all the pressure off. I mean, it does. We don't, this is practice. We don't need to succeed. This doesn't have to be good. So I'm not going to control it. I'm not going to make a great experience because what's going to happen if I, we did some amazing experience tonight, uh, you would look at it and say, that's amazing. I can't do that. So what, what, what have we done? Taught you not to do the things we're talking about. So we're going to just be like children and try some stuff. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. We're going to try it again. I mean, it's all right. So what we're going to focus on is physical conditions because it's so tangible. And what we're going to try to trust is that God loves to touch physical oppression. And that when we come together, very likely, he will give us gifts to partner with what he wants to do. Now, I know generally he wants to heal, but what about right now? Where is their faith expected? I don't know how all of this works, but what does he want us to particularly focus on tonight? I have faith to believe that he will give different gifts to different people. Some will receive gifts of faith as they pray, gifts of compassion. Maybe there'll be some gifts of healing tonight that we'll understand later on if someone is healed and we'll go, oh, I think it was me. I better put this in a plastic bag before I lose it, you know. I mean, uh, there'll be some of that, but there may also be some gifts of revelation so that we know who it is that God wants us to reach out to. It's just practicing listening for those little nudges of his. So we ask God, where are you coming near with your kingdom? You notice how Jesus sometimes healed everyone in a crowd. Sometimes he went into what was a primitive hospital and healed one. How did he know that one? Was it just luck? Was it just stumble across that guy? Or It just seems to me that often Jesus was always saying, Father, where, who, what? What's, what's up today? So we can practice doing that. Now, I'm going to pray and ask that God will speak to some of you and give you an impression of a physical condition that he wants us to pray for. And then we're going to see if God will give us gifts as we pray for that person. We're not going to worry about the prayer model and everything else, except we're going to try to pray. I'll give you just a few instructions before we do it. We're going to try to pray following the Holy Spirit rather than leading the Holy Spirit. That's about all. I mean, there's not a lot of other, not a lot of rules. Don't worry, you're not going to kill somebody by praying wrong or anything like that. So, And a lot of you are veterans, so there's going to be a lot of help here in the room. Uh, now, how do we hear God? You know, people are so different in the way they hear God. There's some, some people are really, really visual. And so when they stop and say, God, what do you want to do? Very often, some kind of a picture will come into their mind. And they'll see a picture of some kind of physical condition. Now, if you get people like, I, I do a lot with seeker churches and things. They know they don't, nothing of any of this. So it's always great the way it starts. They'll, somebody will say, I see a foot. 
And I go, oh, that's a good word. Anyone have a foot? You know, uh, which foot is it? Right foot? Oh, that's even better. Anyone have a right foot? You know, and, and, and so it, it, I mean, it's not like everything is so highly specific. When you were 14 years old, there was an elephant that stepped on your right foot at 7 o'clock in the morning. Like, I mean, it doesn't have to be that. Like, just what do your kids do when you ask them to pray? It's, it's just like, take whatever God gives you. If you use it, you'll gain confidence it will grow. That's the way it works. If, but you can only grow in spiritual gifts by using what you have. If you keep it inside, you just become a legend in your own mind. You understand? It is becoming a child and taking a shot at it. I had a person once who said in a large meeting, I think someone, I have a picture of an upside down kidney. I went, what? You know, how do you talk them off the ledge? Somebody over there jumps up and goes, you won't believe this. I have an upside down kidney. (laughs) But then what? Like, does God turn it around or do they learn how to walk in their head? Or like, what do you do? I, I don't know what you do then. But I mean, to me, isn't it faith building to know that someone could see a picture of an upside down kidney and someone has, it's not like there's 19 upside down kidneys in the room, you know? And it just encourages our faith, doesn't it? So some people will see a picture. Some people will, it's, it's like a word comes in. It's almost like they can read a word. This is, this is what's wrong. Uh, particularly really sensitive, compassionate people will often feel some kind of physical symptom. Like I'll pray and, and they're going, I'm not going to do this. You know, and then all of a sudden, ah! And they're, they're, they're just having this pain shooting down the right side of their neck. They go, there's nothing wrong with my neck. Like what's going on? They're the most motivated usually to give the word. Somebody's got a right, you know, neck pain. If you don't come and get it, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> like, you know, I don't want this. And, and, uh, but it's amazing how often that will reflect the symptom that someone's feeling. For me, I very rarely get those kinds of things. It, it's, it's just a complete trust thing. I will be, I, I mean, um, well, I'll, I'll give you an example. And this could totally screw up. I was just to explain, I just get a sense that there's something, it's almost like somebody walks across your back garden and you just, you didn't quite notice it and, uh, or, or it's something that I don't think I can see, but if I could see it, I'd know what it was. It's a, it's a vague, it, it takes a lot of, I don't know, a lot of trust to, to, to not think you're just making this up. So I, I would, I, I, I always trust my eyes. I'm looking at you. I'm looking across and I saw you just as I'm saying this thing, how it works for me. And I go, Oh shoot. Why did I see her? Because I don't know anything about her. And I don't even know why my eyes just stopped at you for a moment. But then if I just stop what ha- we'll talk about this more tomorrow, my heart begins to engage and I realize there's an incredible yearning in your eyes. There's something in your eyes that's showing the longing in your heart. There's these deep, deep longings. And yet, believing that you could see them. It's so much easier to live with those things subdued. 
Now, am I crazy? Does that, do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, I, I don't, it's not like I see anything special. I just, something moves my heart. And if I, if I, if I go with it, it's almost as though God's saying, no, keep talking, keep talking. There's something there. And I'm almost learning it as I'm saying it, which I don't like at all. I'm German, you know. I like everything downloaded in advance, right? So I don't know how it works with you, but I'm just going to pray that uh, God will just, because he loves us, speak to some of us and give us some physical things. Just ask God, how do you want to touch bodies tonight? And when we pray that, if something comes to your mind or you see a picture or you have a physical sensation or anything like that, just a sense, it's probably wrong, but this may be what God wants to do, right? Then I want you to stand and share it. Now, don't worry. If you're wrong and no one responds, we're not going to kick you out of the conference. You'll be asked to leave the meeting, but you can come tomorrow. Isn't that our fear? Like, tell you what, most of the time when this doesn't happen, it's usually because, you know, somebody's got, uh, you don't have a, left, a right kneecap, and, and, and no one will respond, and so you want to go and become a Buddhist or something. And, and then later on, someone will come up and go, oh, you know, I, I don't know if that word, I don't have a right kneecap, but I wasn't so sure if that word applied to me. Or, and you just go, Poof, you know, yeah, pop them. But, you know, it's embarrassing, isn't it? This, these are hard things for us to do. Now, just so that we stack the odds against this, I'm going to ask that people... How many people have never done this kind of thing in a public meeting? You've, you've never personally stood up and said, uh, put your hands up high. I want to see who you are. Okay, see that? You're the only ones who can do this. Okay? I don't want any veterans. I, I just want to see if God can speak... To everybody. And if you're brave enough, now you don't make something, whatever you do, I'm going to pray, don't make something up. Don't start thinking, head and shoulders, knees and toes. Like, <laughs> don't go there. You know? Just say, Lord, what do you want to do? If something comes into your mind, just have the courage to share it. Okay? All right? Sound good? Okay, let's pray.